1: Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
2: it's fulhamish extra your extra slice of fulham fc punishment my name is sammy james thank you for listening to the show today Uh, and in this episode we're going to be previewing saturday's game against bournemouth it's going to be a difficult one back at craven cottage as fulham look to bounce back after three heavy consecutive defeats Uh, we're going to speak to bournemouth fan michael dunn uh, and blogger as well uh, of all things bournemouth we're going to here from tom great tricks of the Fuller supporters trust uh for a bit of an fst update which is always good to do uh, a bit of fst housekeeping every once in a while and also uh, we're going to play you a bit of audio that guy dom and aaron did with michael brown on love sports last week so um just need to introduce my guests for today drew heatley how you doing Hi, Farrell monk how's it going Borda. and dom betts you all good Yeah, mate. Excellent stuff. Uh, We'll we'll delve into Bournemouth uh, in just a second. Just to say that Fulhamish this season is backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. And while you're there, if you'd please leave us a positive review on either Apple Podcasts or on Facebook, uh, that would be marvellous, as they say. What would it be, Farrell? (laughs)
3: Marvellous. Very, very nice.
2: So we face Bournemouth at Craven Cottage on Saturday. It's a 3pm kickoff, one for the traditionalists. Don Betts will be happy. Um, Bournemouth, it's going to be a tricky one. Maybe looking into the season, you would have marked this as one of the ones that Fulham definitely need to pick up three points in. But Bournemouth had a fantastic start to the season, currently sixth in the league. Uh, Drew with Southampton 0-0 on Saturday, but they won their previous away game 4-0. At Watford, and that's a Watford that have started the season very, very well. Um, Drew, this is an unbelievably tough game on on Saturday. I think that's very fair to say.
0: Yeah, and it couldn't have come at a worse time for us. But it, it, there's a lot about Bournemouth that we should be looking at and looking to emulate in the in the coming seasons. That sort, of, the consistency at the top, uh, the consistency on the pitch, to the dedication to the playing style, and the way that they've managed to get everybody playing, pulling in the same direction, and making. The what the they're greater than the sum of their parts, aren't they? Right, and yeah. you know we've we've heard about their their front free front free being uh, described as sort of a uh, a, a Liverpool esque uh, on on other pods other than this, and and it's going to be
2: real. Real tough on Saturday. I'm, I'm I'm, not looking forward to it. I mean, that front two of Josh King and Callum Wilson, Dom, is, is very, very potent. And then behind that, you've got David Brooks and Ryan Fraser, both who have had incredible starts to the season. This is going to test our very, very porous defence. I mean, they ripped a Watford side that admittedly was down to 10 men to absolute shreds the other week.
4: Yeah, and what's, what I think the most worrying thing with their attack is the pe- raw pace they've got in it. Fraser, mm. Wilson, King... All both absolutely rapid, and it's not exactly going to help our defence. of how much space we left Cardiff having behind, who haven't really got any pace apart from Josh Murphy, and even Kadim Harris got on a score sheet. So I think we need to we need to be wary, and we need to set up and we need to, Slab needs to use his brain for once and think a system that's actually going to counteract the opposition instead of thinking a system that he wants to play. Okay, well let's let's hear what you
2: would suggest.
4: Well, because they got they got three rapid forwards. I don't I don't think the three in the back system is the worst thing to play in this game. Because yeah, yeah, you can argue yeah, Arsenal got in behind the fullbacks quite a lot, but Cesson was was catching up to Bellerin every single time in that first half. Yeah, I mean, yes, unfortunately we have Sars Christie, but I think he'll be motivated enough <laughs> on how poor he played against Arsenal to want to put this right. And I think or oh, Timothy fossumenson may be back. Yeah, he was in contention yeah, for the Arsenal for the bad, Cardiff game. I think the system with the play, when all our players are fit, it's not the best system we can play. But the players we've got fit at the moment, it seems for me, it seems what's going to work best. And I think. Yeah, I, I think this. we we said use this system against the top teams. Well, you look at the table, Paulman for one of the top teams in the league. They're probably yep. one of the best form teams in the league. So I think there's no reason why we can't use this. I mean, you, you say, oh, well, why should we try something else? Well, well, nothing else has worked. So, I we, mean... We've tried it, though, and... and it worked relatively yeah. well in that first half. So I don't see why you can't use it. As Slav just drilled the system into the players this week. I don't see why it couldn't work.
0: It's a tweak on what we did against Arsenal. We should be looking at that
4: first half again. So it's not exactly yeah. changing from one system to another. It's the last time we played at a ground. Sometimes
0: you play different away from home exactly. And I think it's exactly the it's exactly the thing we should be doing. We should be paying Bournemouth the respect that they deserve, but we should also be focusing everything that we're doing specifically just on this game because we need a result. And that is I think that's the best way the best way to use what we've got at our disposal at the back on on Saturday.
3: Yeah, um, I can't really add much more than what the guys beside me have said. Um, that you know, we we got we do have to stick to what we know. There is an element again of game management, game by game here as well. We do have to play uh, pay respect They have had an an amazing start to the, start to the season. Do you know what they do really well? Is take their chances. They take their chances really, really well. So they like make, Watford, yeah, they, they make they make them count. They were actually I think they were two 0 up even before that they went down. But uh, Watford went down to ten men, and they capitalised and they did it amazingly well. Callum Wilson has finally come back into form after a, a bit of a shaky start. Definitely no coincidence. I dropped him in my team before he went in form, um, and I just think you know. I do think Fulham are capable of 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 getting a result. We are at home. We are playing on familiar territory here. I do think we can get a result. We do know the potential in this team is to to you know beat the teams in and around us. And Bournemouth, unfortunately, I think that they will probably slip down the table, especially if they get a couple of injuries. Um, I think one of the key battles here is in that centre midfield here. Jefferson Lerma, who waited, he started, he came into the into the club injured, and he's really solidified that that midfield too that they have. Um, and, you know, I think that that's where the game is going to be won and lost. I do think they will hit us on the counter-attack and try and hit us over the top. Um, but I think that if we dominate the ball enough, we can actually get a result here. Hopefully, Tom Kearney will be back in, back in contention. But if not, I think we have got enough attacking threat to expose them.
2: I mean, this is a Bournemouth side that do sometimes concede quite a few goals. I mean, they lost 4-0 earlier in September to Burnley away. And this is a Burnley side that didn't really start the season uh, very well. They conceded two at home to Leicester. They conceded two at home to Everton. Four away at Fulham. (laughs) Well, maybe. But all I'm saying is Fulham will have opportunities to attack. This isn't a watertight form of defence. And as we saw from that, you know, incredible scoreline up at Turf Moor, they can be susceptible to throwing it away against sides that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. It's, it's a blip and otherwise a pretty much perfect start to them. But certainly, you know, Fulham shouldn't go into this game thinking, oh, well, here we go again, necessarily. And let's not forget we can score goals. We've got 11 so far,
0: and I think the only
2: other team in the bottom
0: half of the table has got Leicester. more is Leicester, yeah. So we are 11th as well. You're 11th. So we know, we know we can go, we know we're dangerous going forward. We know which side of our game needs work. And if we get it right at the back it's going to be a lot more competitive than what you might think it would be going into it off the back of last weekend.
3: We spoke on Monday at how, after we lost badly against Arsenal that oh maybe and it went into the international window that oh maybe that's a good thing, but you know we we did say that perhaps that isn't the best thing and and you know from a personal experience that you know, I can't. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to the game against Bournemouth. I'm, I'm really happy that we don't have two weeks to actually fester over it, and I think that Savisa will not make them forget over the next um, couple of days, that and even the, the prior three days beforehand that. You know, we lost badly against a you know, a, um, say again a bad Cardiff team where we should you know we should have gone there and got a result. And I think Savisa is really going to hammer them all week. And I really hope that they will come out firing straight from the corner of the cottage.
2: All right, well, let's get some preferred lineups from from you gents now. Uh, starting with you, Drew. Do you know what? Should we just do predicted back five because yeah. that is <laughs> really what you know? I feel like you could go with a number of a- attacking options. Going forward, and we all kind of know that Mitrovic is going to be up top. But what is your defensive back four, five, six, however you want to mm-hmm. kind of play it? So it's a five for me. If we're going straight from the keeper,
0: okay, let's go Rico, and then really, let- no. No, <laughs> yes. no, 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 yes. I can't, I can't, no, I, I can't. Can we pick more than one keeper? Hmm, I'm sticking. Okay, I'm I stick, think we'd still concede. I'm sticking to. <laughs> I'm sticking to my gut here. We'll go Beth Nelly. We will go. uh Mawson, Reem, and uh, Adoy, and then we'll go. Sess left, Christie right, but TFM if he's fit,
3: which I'm not sure whether he will be. foul stick with Bets. I personally would. I don't, you know, I just don't know enough about Rico and Fabry so far. Uh, but stick with Bets, um, and I'd go. I'm going to go for a five, as in a th- three and two wing backs, and I'll go Sess at the left, and um, Reem, Mawson. And I'm going to throw a bit of a bit of a change here. I'm going to throw throw a Slav Bingo in. I'm going to put Chambers as the right centre back and put Adoy at the right wing back. I saw enough Adoy at right wing back on Saturday that actually filled me with a little bit of confidence.
2: I must admit, I was tempted to potentially think about Adoy as a right back option if you didn't have TFM available. Mm-hmm. He actually was quite impressive. Yeah, he's got to be one of our most versatile defenders ever.
3: Yeah, I it mean, if, if if, if tfm is fit then i personally probably would put a doy at the center back and then put tfm at the right wing back yeah tom
4: rico and goal i just i just bet Nelly hasn't filmed with much confidence this year i just he just seems to let in too many easy not easy shots but ones that you should be saving or you 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 expect him to save anyway so i'll have have rico and goal on the right i'd have typically photo if he's fit if not I think the Adoy shout's a great shout because Christie, although he he probably wants to impress again, I think Adoy was perfectly capable there on the weekend. Then in defence, I would I think I'll go for put Ream in the middle, Maxim Le Marchand on the left hand side, and then Mawson on the right. But it's just, it's just I think Maxim Le Marchand should play because I think when he's been played through the middle, he's been our best centre back this season. And then also like if 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 Tim Fosu mentions fit, then obviously I move doy in. To right centre back and have uh I'd say Reem in the middle. I know he had a poor game against Cardiff, but I think you need to have players who know who know each other in there. And I yeah. think having Reem in there would be helpful. So if Vos is meant to fit, have him on the right wing back and then have a Doi Ream, Massime Lamarchan with Sess on the left.
2: Yeah, I'd probably be tempted to go the same as you there, Dom. Although part of me thinks that if maybe four at the back is the way to incorporate Kearney into the team. And, you know, Kearney should be coming back soon, we hope. Congratulations, by the way, on the on the baby announcement, Tom yeah. Kearney. Lovely oh, news. Yeah. Um, that maybe, you know, we want to see a consistent identity. Just because you're
4: playing five at the back doesn't mean you can't play Kearney. No. But oh, I think it, but if you are, obviously it means you have to drop one of Sherlock Lovietta, which I don't think is a massive problem, to be honest, because mm. I think... Yes, they they've both been good, but they've been good obviously playing in a four two three one four three three system. If you change it to a three five two, I don't see why I would play Vieto off Mitrovic.
3: Well, you wouldn't be dropping Viet- did He Did not start? Did he?
4: Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. So bring in Chielll, bring in Vieto, and play him just ju- ahead of Kearney, but in but, but sort of behind yeah. next to Mitrovic. I think.
3: I think it, I, I think it's dropping your Hansen there, there. Yeah. It? No. Yeah.
4: For yeah. me, the two midfielders. If if Kenny's not fit, then obviously I play Sarah in a number ten position, and I have you have the midfield pivot in McDonald. Just not leaving our half, <laughs> right? Just not leaving our half. And then having Anguissa as a box to box. Because anyone who's watched Anguissa know he's not an anchor man.
3: Yeah. No, he, no, no. He yeah, a, yeah, I, I've got he, to agree. He's yeah. a
4: box to box midfielder, which I don't know if the club knew that, if that was they, what they were signing.
3: He's a better Steph Hansen. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like Steph Hansen, but I don't I think, think he's got the quality at you the know, moment. I
4: should have mentioned that like, he's made the most, his most impressive stat is his dribbles. Go, um, of going from dribbling with the ball, so he's clearly a box box. He's not mm. been he's not yeah. renowned for his tackling, and he's he's a good player to have there. But I think if he, if he, if he but and Guisa
3: like, is quite clearly a better player,
4: yeah. I mean, oh, but I was going to say, if you're going to play with a double pivot, you don't want him being the deeper player. No, of course not.
2: OK, we'll see if any of those lineups come true on Saturday at 2 o'clock. Unlikely. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you can probably put your bets in now that they probably won't. Uh, let's get an opposition view on the game on Saturday. Uh, I spoke to Bournemouth blogger Michael Dunn. Uh, I started off by asking him whether Bournemouth fans are confident of an easy victory on Saturday.
5: I wouldn't go that far. We've had a good start to the season, but Bournemouth have always got a dodgy result in them. We lost 4-0 at Burnley not that long ago. Yeah, uh, We drew it home to Southampton at the weekend, which is... Not a bad result overall, considering you get another point for it, but the fans really want that one because, obviously, it's local derby. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, we should be favourites for the game against you, but, you know, I wouldn't count on us getting the three points.
2: I thought it was a mark of how far Bournemouth have come that the Southampton manager was saying that a point away at Bournemouth was a statement. I mean, look look how times have changed.
5: Yeah, well, we've long had a bit of an inferiority complex about Southampton. We haven't played them much until recently. Um, and the rivalry generally comes from our side of the New Forest. They're more interested in Portsmouth and their bitter rivalry with them. But I think for the fans here, it's very much been over the years. They've got much more attention in the local media. There's a lot of fans of Southampton who live in Bournemouth, which kind of sticks in the local fans' craw and that kind of thing. So, yeah, we're sort of slowly clawing our way above them, which I never thought would happen. I mean, even like five, six years ago, I didn't think it would happen. And now... We're definitely the better team, but unfortunately we play them. We never seem to be able to beat them.
2: Well, I can uh, certainly uh, testify to that with our uh, slightly more illustrious neighbours up the road as well. Um, Bournemouth's attacking line-up has been well-spoken about this year. Obviously you've got Josh King, Callum Wilson up front, uh, and youngsters, uh, David Brooks uh, is doing so well for you. You look very, very lethal going forward.
5: When it clicks, it's fantastic. They were stifled on Saturday. Mark Hughes did his usual tactic of just stopping the other team playing in the hope of getting a point. But there have been games, obviously, Watford away sticks out, where we've just roared into action. And those three that you mentioned, plus Ryan Fraser, have been really dangerous this year. And they've started the season really, really well. Um, We don't have a striker that is banging the goals in. The goals are a bit more spread out. but. Yeah, I mean, we can't complain. We've scored a lot of goals. We've gone a, a positive goal difference for once, which is nice. And um, we have kept a few clean sheets as well. So, yeah, I mean, things are looking good. We've got 17 points and it's, you know, the clocks haven't even changed yet. So uh, <laughs> long may it last.
2: I mean, has this come as a surprise to you this season? It seems like during every pre-season, people tip Bournemouth to go down. And I wonder if that is just people looking at, I don't know, the size of the club and and just thinking, oh, the bubble must be about to burst. Is this kind of start what Bournemouth fans thought was was possible going into the season?
5: Um, there's always a fair bit of optimism, or well, there has been in recent years going into each season. But until this year, the previous three seasons we've had in the Premier League, we've started slowly. And we traditionally started slowly. Even the year we won the championship, I think we were down to 15th after about eight games. So... Yeah, it's not. I wouldn't say we expected it, but you know what it's like at the start of the season. Everyone's optimistic, aren't they? I mean, unless things are absolutely terrible at your club. Yeah. Um, So it's probably gone better than we would have expected. We want it to last. Uh, The thing about the small club, we are a small club. I mean, the ground only holds uh, 11,000. Traditionally, we've been a League One club. We've had this meteoric rise um, and we're perceived by any club, I think, Probably even, I mean, I know you've been having a rough time, but a, a game at home for Bournemouth for any team, even if you're having a, you know, a, a downturn in your fortunes like Fulham haven't recently, it looks like an opportunity to kickstart your season. And I think that's always, or generally, worked to our advantage because although we have lost some, you know, games that perhaps we should have got a draw or won, there's been other ones where we've been able to spring surprises because the opposition have just been that five percent off it because they thought, oh well, it's only Bournemouth, you know, we're bound to get something here, and it hasn't quite worked out. Um, There's been a lot of surprises over the years, uh, in the last maybe six, seven, eight years, but um, it'll only last whilst whilst we've got the manager. I think if Eddie Howe leaves, we'll we'll see a a rapid decline.
2: Um, Fulham and Bournemouth haven't really played each other that much uh, since the turn of the millennium at all. The one season that we had together in the Championship, though, you have some fairly happy memories. I remember going down to uh, Vitality Stadium, Dean Court. It was known as the time, and it was a fairly desperate 2-0 defeat, but... Nothing was more depressing than the uh, than the five one. That was um, that was quite something for, for Fulham fans. That was a tough one to take.
5: Yeah, that was possibly our best performance of the season. And it's yeah, as you can imagine, the feelings on this side of things are completely different. It's very fondly remembered that game. Um, it was televised. I think it was on a Friday night, and a lot of fans went up and still talk about it now. What a great time they had up there! And you know, we had a, a, a thumping win with some with some really good goals, and that was probably around the time that we started to believe this really is on, you know, we can actually get up into the Premier League, so yeah it's it's one that lives long and happily in in the memory for us
2: Um, Have you been watching too much of Fulham this season? You'll have seen our defensive mishaps and how leaky we look at the back Are you expecting Bournemouth to score plenty of goals this weekend? What kind of threat are you expecting from Fulham?
5: Um, You've had a hard time you know, you've been struggling, I think the defeat at the weekend that was you know a relegation six-pointer in october mm. and he went ahead and from what i understand the tactics remained the same there was no change in the way you were playing once you went ahead and um well, unfortunately for you Cardiff came back into the game and and took the points uh i would expect us to go for it we won't be pulling the mark hughes trick on on you at Craven Cottage will certainly be um, be looking to get the points, uh, but you've got some good players. Um, it's obviously not clicking at the moment, but you know the forwards Mitrovic, I really like him. Shirley's obviously got a bit of bit of pedigree. Cessignon um, starred for you, I think. But then you've got other players like Callum Chambers seems to have gone missing a little bit. I think in against Cardiff, he seems to be out of position for one or two of the goals. So yeah, I think. If you, were, if you were betting on who was going to win the game, you bet on us. But it's different when it's your own team. I mean, you, yeah. unless you support Man City or somebody, you tend to be quite pessimistic about your chances before yeah. the kickoff. I certainly do.
2: Um, we talked about your threats going forward, but who are the other players that really are key to the way that Bournemouth play? The one that's caught my eye this season has been Lerma in the middle of the park. He always looks really impressive, really tidy with the ball. Um, you've also got some, you know, good defenders, Nathan Ake, Kirk as well, you know, who, who are the players for you that really make this Bournemouth team
5: tick? I think Lerma's done well, he's only really just come into the team, he, he had Dan Gosling and Andrew Sermon keeping him out of the team for the first few games, he's come in and he's grown into the team and he's the kind of midfield enforcer that we need, he plays a little bit deeper and we've kind of been crying out for that over the years, Harry Arter who played against you on Saturday was playing that role, though. he always played a bit further forward, but he moved on on loan i think there was something going on behind the scenes there that he had to he had to be shipped out for a while um ake would definitely be our best player uh, if you are you know looking at the the starting 11 every week he won the player of the season all of the player of the season awards last year the, the player of the month award he won, he won something like seven out of the nine awards he, he's absolutely outstanding i don't think we're going to hang on to him for very much longer hopefully we'll keep him until the end of the season um, so yeah, with him in the team, I mean, he was largely part of the reason that we managed to avoid trouble last year. I think So we went through a few dodgy spells, but he always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, the whole team have played really well. The goalkeeper Begovic, he doesn't get a lot of plaudits, but I've been really impressed since he's since he's come into the team. He he seems to make everything that you know. He rarely makes a mistake. Uh, when when there's goals against him, it's, it's not really ever the finger being pointed at him. And um, then we've got Lewis Cook, young midfielder who's played one game for England in the midfield. He's still kind of a work in progress, but he's got an enormous amount of potential. I mean, the future's bright for Bournemouth as long as we can hang on to the players and the manager. So, yeah, hopefully they'll all perform on Saturday. Finally,
2: what is your prediction for the game? Mm-hmm. neck um, I'm
5: always a bit reluctant to predict, especially away games, and I'm always uh, looking at a point. So I think I'll go for a one-all draw.
2: Perfect. Thank you very much for being on Fulhamish.
5: That's a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Fulhamish has teamed up with OneFootball, the only football app that you need this season. Uh, You can get it on both the App Store and on Google Play. Using personalised news feeds, push notifications and a user-friendly interface, OneFootball makes it easy to keep up to date with the latest transfer news, scores and stats in one central place. Check out the OneFootball app and let us know what you think of it. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here and I'm sat with the chair of the FST, Tom Greatrix. How are you doing Tom? Hi Sammy, very well thank you. So Tom, every now and again we like to check in with you guys uh, and find out the latest from the Supporters Trust obviously a very important organisation and you do a lot for Fulham fans that I think sometimes goes quite under the radar so I always think it's a nice opportunity just when we can to have a bit of a catch up and find out what you guys have been up to uh, what have been the latest kind of movements and shakes within the uh, Fulham Supporters Trust
6: Well most recently I think most of our time has been on issues related to Craven Cottage, the redevelopment of the Riverside stand, the issues around Wembley. That's also, uh, I suppose, partly because I'm also a member of the FA Council, so I've got sort of two hats on in relation to that. That's been something we've been working on quite hard over the summer um, uh, and been on the agenda a lot. Most recent discussions with Fulham have been on that as a main issue, also on some of the issues around uh, ticketing issues um, that um, that we've we've raised and we're looking into in more depth and more detail over the period ahead, um, and then we're planning for the uh, nice thing to be able to do the celebration of 30 years of 25th and the David Lloyd's new book, which is coming up in middle of November.
2: Discussing Wembley and Fulham, there were some fears um, that the Khans had to even make a statement about that Fulham should the Wembley sale have gone ahead. Their place at Craven Cottage was secure, but I understand that you guys have been doing some work in the background to absolutely solidify that stance.
6: Yeah, I think you know it's it's very important to note that every conversation that we've had as a trust with the club, and also with representatives of of the Jaguars and Mr. Khan, um, you know, so outside of directly the Fulham part of it, have all said what they've said in public in terms of statements that. Uh, there is the bid for Wembley is separate from the, um, the, the plans to build a new Riverside stand and redevelop Craven Cottage and make it a ground which is commercially viable and keeping us at our historic home, which is what, as a trust, we were set up partly to uh, be involved in and to do way back in the batch to the Cottage years, which is about making sure Fulham carry on playing at Fulham. But the fact that there had to be a number of statements made probably... Um, it underlines the level of anxiety there generally is because of what's happened in the past you know every single owner in my lifetime at some point has wanted to move full out of Craven Cottage and have various different schemes or circumstances that seem to have driven that somehow against the odds and we've managed to survive and be at Craven Cottage with that I'm unhappy couple of years when we moved out but we got back and so it's understandable that there is a great degree of scrutiny of any of those statements that are made by the current owner, who is the only one in my lifetime who hasn't said he wants to move the club out uh, uh, so far. So, you know, we uh, have been talking to the club about that and talking to Jaguars about that. We've been pushing them to make public statements, which they have made, to try to level, give a level of reassurance. But as well as that, um, one of the things which, uh, as a member of the FA Council, um, uh, I was working on people with the working with people from the f a on was to ensure that when they were setting out a number of conditions that would pertain to any sale of Wembley, including all the games that would carry on being played there, the you know not renaming the ground um, the uh, ability to bid for World Cups and everything else that one very important consideration was that no new owner would be in a position where they could move a football club professional. Uh, association football club as opposed to an NFL club into Wembley as an anchor tenant, be that one they own or a third party, um, and that that decision would not transfer to a new owner, it would stay as it currently does with the FA in Sport England. And uh, that is one of the conditions that was put in place, which would have just given a, an extra level of assurance that uh, uh, if there had been at some point in the future a change of view. Uh, from uh, From Mr. or from Fulham about wanting to explore Fulham moving to wembley i don 't think there 's any intention of that being the case, but that that would not be allowed to happen and that 's something which we felt was important to do uh, to uh, to make sure that the good intentions and the statements were backed up with a, a backstop effectively uh, so that the uh, the desire to redevelop Craven Cottage in a way that keeps the historic character of the ground, that keeps us playing somewhere which uh, you know, the club and the owners talk about, that links to the her- history, the heritage, the atmosphere, and that increasingly when you talk to fans of other clubs, they like and appreciate in a way that perhaps 20 years ago wouldn't necessarily have done in quite the same way because you know, people have got a bit fed up with identical out-of-town stadiums. Then that's something that's important for the character of our club, it's important for football more widely, and we want it to protect.
2: Did the trust have much of a view, much of an opinion on Khan's Wembley bids? Was it something that was encouraged
6: by the trust? Well, our concern as a trust was really about any implications there would be for Fulham because we're a Fulham trust, we're not a Wembley trust, or we're not a, you know, all of football or, or have a particular interest in NFL, although you know, some of our members obviously are interested in all of those different things. So, our whole approach to this was always and continues to be about uh, the impact on Fulham, and that's why those were the issues we were discussing and asking the club about at the start when the bid was first made and the work we've been doing with the FA and with others in the meantime as well, because that's, you know... that's With my sort of FA Council hat on, I'm a member of the FA Council as a supporters representative, and so, you know, we've been guided by the... If there had been a vote, uh, we would have been guided by supporters... uh, um, Survey and responses from our members as supporters federation about how we would then cast that vote. I mean, I think it's fair to say personally, uh, I was um, quite uh, encouraged by the approach being taken by the FA, as well as having all those safeguards in place. How the money would be used, because you know, with a again a different view on this as a as a parent of uh, young girls who play in a local girls football team in a village in Oxfordshire, I see every Saturday morning. When I'm not going travelling to away games to places watching Fulham, I I see the state of some of the facilities and some of the pitches and the changing facilities, and there's a massive need for uh, an upgrading grassroots facilities in this country. And that is one of the things the FA is supposed to be there to do. So, you know, I personally felt that with the level of safeguard there were, the protections there were, that it was a deal that was very well worth considering and something that um, I'm in some ways disappointed hasn't been taken further.
2: Um, One thing I wanted to touch on with you rather than go into a full delve debate uh, is the ticket prices we've had a lot of messages um, in the past few months from people concerned about the high price of tickets at Craven Cottage Uh, without going into too much detail as I think this is a subject that we can go uh, exploring in much greater depth further down the line is it something that the trust is aware of and in communication with the club
6: yeah, very much so. It's one of the... Um, our last meeting, with the, of the monthly meeting with the club, we focused on three issues. Um, Craven Cottage, ticketing in terms of some of the strategic issues, so the overall costs and those issues, and then some of the sort of more, I suppose, day-to-day issues around upgrades and those types of things, the frustrations. But it's one of the things which as our members have expressed their concern about um, since the match day prices for this season were published. Um, and also particularly in relation to uh, the level of pricing of season tickets for new season ticket holders and what the implications are for existing season ticket holders uh, who renewed in the early bird period and pre-promotion uh, for, um, uh, you know, for following seasons. So it's very much a, an issue which is of significant concern. It's something we raised um, uh, and had quite a long discussion with Fulham about um, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that on some of those issues, there uh, I think is uh, there's room to be able to make some progress. They've been very clear with us that decisions haven't been taken about season ticket prices for next season yet. They want to listen to our ideas. Um, we will uh, be working in greater detail on some of that to take those those forward. There's good examples in other other parts of the uh, other clubs in football about how they deal with some of those issues. But the match day. Price issue is a difficult one because you can see it's quite a significant increase compared to last season. We're obviously in a higher league, uh, uh, but you know at the same time that means I know of individuals who are not going to go as often. They might, you know, go to two or three games rather than seven or eight or nine or ten. People who can't commit to being a season ticket holder for just because of their availability, different circumstances, and that's a concern that that has an impact on you know some of our fan base not being able to. Be part of it in the future. The difficulty is, of course, from the club's perspective. Just like the Bournemouth game has sold out, it's sold out at what I consider to be quite high prices. In um, you know, in all all parts of the ground for home supporters, uh, there's a bigger issue across football as well because uh, you know we've seen the impact of the thirty pounds cap on away ticket prices. That had a good impact in terms of numbers of away fans and the atmosphere that they're able to add to. Grounds both at our ground and 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 as traveling fans in in other grounds, but you can sense that there's a, an impact happening in, uh, uh, in amongst some clubs who charge much more for home tickets on you know the fans that are able to afford to go and uh, I suppose the real concern is those that have been priced out of it who would otherwise be there and be there and vocal and committed uh, and long standing supporters of clubs well one hundred
2: percent this is something that uh will Take on further with you down the line. Uh, just one final point: you mentioned uh, David Lloyd's two-fifth event to mark the new book that, that he's released uh, of thirty years of two-fifth and a bit of a charted history of Fulham. Um, the, the the tickets are sold out. You must be delighted with the response and looking forward to the evening.
6: Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted it sold out so quickly, um, and I think it'll be a great night to celebrate. Two fifth, which for many years was the only conduit between what was happening with the club and fans. You know, throughout that time, the difficult years and then the you know there's just incredible years and the um, uh, getting into the Premier League and the European final and everything else. Two fifth's been a constant uh, through that time, and actually it's also an evening to uh, I think mark and recognise uh, the contribution that David Lloyd has made over that time because it's. He's you know, had people helping him, but it's, he's basically been a one-man effort for a very, very long period of time. And I think it's going to be a great night getting people together. Um, and a bit of, you know, nothing wrong with it, a bit of nostalgia, a bit of, a bit of reminiscing and and, uh, and, and you know, remaking old contacts, and all in the spirit of Fulham.
2: Tom, lovely to chat to you as always and get a bit of an update. Uh, Thank you for chatting to Fulhamish.
6: Thanks very much indeed. Cheers. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon and you're listening
4: to Fulhamish Podcast.
2: Hello, welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast, Fulhamish Extra. It's Sammy James here with Drew Heatley. Hello. Farrow Monk. Hello. Tom Betts. Hello, hello. Uh, Thank you very much to Tom for giving up his time to give us a bit of an FST update. Always important. Uh, If you want to make your voice heard on all of these important issues, very important that you sign up to the Supporters Trust. It's the best way to get your opinions, your voices out there. If you're frustrated with something as a Fulham fan... Nine times out of 10, the FST are the way to go. So make sure you join. Uh, Just head to the website, Trust.com. It really doesn't cost much. It takes no time at all to set up. Uh, And if you are a real genuine Fulham fan and you want to make your opinions heard, it is the best and most effective way to do so. So head to www.fulhamsupporterstrust.com. FulhamSupportersTrust.com So up next, we're continuing the success of last week's feature where we play you some of the best interviews that are done by the guys on Love Sport. And by the guys on Love Sport, I very much mean Dom Betts. Hello, hello. Um, So every Wednesday, the guys do a show from 8.30pm till 10 uh, often hosted by a guy called Aaron Paul. Uh, And Dom, you normally do it with another one of the Fulhamish gang called Guy, Guy Barlow, don't you?
4: Yeah, we do. It's mainly been me and Guy, but I'm sort of slowly incorporating. Maybe getting getting a few of the bloggers in. Uh, Cam Rounds he's been on recently. Yes. Try get we're going to try to get George Singer in the studio one week from the Stat Show.
2: Nice. Just to so hear different voices. Exactly. It's a great show, so do listen to it. Five five 8 a.m. in London. You can also listen on digital radio in London, or you can listen around the world on LovesportRadio.com. Uh, and Dom often gets very very good guests. For the radio show, and we think it's a bit of a shame that sometimes they go to waste. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you spoke to Michael Brown. He seems like a right nice geezer. Yeah, so when sounds it, like the kind of guy you'd want to go down the pub yeah, with. Yeah,
4: when I found when I found his number or had his number, I was like, I, I don't, I didn't like him as a player personally. He wasn't like a huge fan. But then when I spoke to him, really nice guy, really good talker, and yeah. If you didn't like him, you'd probably like, like him a bit more. After this. Yeah,
2: exactly. I've spoken to a couple of people and told them that Michael Brown was on and they've had like not the nicest words necessarily to say of him because he, he was a nasty piece of work as a player and I don't think he'd be the first to pretend that he wasn't. But he did do to a have, job at Cardiff. He would have done a bloody job at Cardiff, <laughs> actually. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really great chat, Dom. Uh, and this is you, Guy and Aaron. Uh, and started off by asking Michael of his memories of playing at Fulham.
1: So I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. It was um, a bit of a slow start, a bit of an injury, but Chris Coleman, what a guy. Do you know, was somebody I met. I was still in the, you know, around the Tottenham squad. Martin Yole didn't want me to go. And it was just Chris. I just I just wanted to go and play for so him. I wanted to, you know, go and play week in, week out. I was on the bench a little bit, Spurs, and every window, you know, another big name would come in. And I just wanted to go and play football. And, and um, I loved my time at Fulham. I thoroughly enjoyed it. After a bit of a slow start, but great memories of um, beating Chelsea first time in maybe forty, you know, forty years or something ridiculous. So it was just a shame that how it went on. That Chris decided, you know, it was he had to leave because he had to pick maybe Steve Keane to, to leave, and he didn't want to. So there was lots of things with regards to the chief executive and the board, etc. And he was forced to leave, which was which was a big shame. And then obviously Laurie came in. And I I, I thought the club were in a little bit of trouble. And and again, it was family reasons for me. We wanted to go and start a family and my wife's family were up in the North West and Wigan was showing the interest and that's the only reason. It's probably one regret I have whether I left Fulham Football Club too early because obviously captain and enjoying my football there. And then Joe... I just that's one time. Maybe I, I wish I'd have maybe stayed a little bit longer.
7: Yeah, Barcelona have grabbed a third against Spurs Dillon or Messi with the goal there, Mike. Um, look, I've been uh, listening to a couple of podcasts, um, you know, some new podcasts that involve Jimmy Bullard, who, let's be fair, is a legendary storyteller. But he has another fellow legendary storyteller with him, which is Tony Warner, your former goalkeeper at uh, yep. Fulham. I mean, is it true that Chris Coleman was a bit of a hard man? And although, like you know, he seems all friendly and nice, to face, he is a bit of he's he's a bit of a tough guy.
1: He, he was okay, Chris. When he when he had to be, he would he would he would leave it on you. You know, you certainly knew when not to cross the line. But he was definitely, you know, he was a players he was a players manager. He'd, he'd have the meeting with you He'd say, right, we're going to go this way, and you know, what do you think for the weeks? Anything I can make you guys happy? And even the players who who you know who weren't playing love Cookie, which you've never seen that at a football club before. They'd all have the utmost respect for him and you know when you when you talk about jimmy i remember i was doing this particular podcast um but yeah we had great times and it was just nuts we, we we had such a great time great group of players and we laughed every day and chris would chris would obviously welcome that and i remember more so we went on a pre-season trip and me and jimmy were playing golf every day and we, we signed the whole account the The beers, the t-shirts, the golf, the buggies, the golf clubs. We did a couple of grand on his bill, so he still never lets us forget that. uh, He just took it in good spirit, which was nice. He must have been on a a few quid.
7: I think think one of the main stories that uh, came out of that was uh, the painting of the player liaison officer's head by Tony Warner and Jimmy Bullard. I don't know how true that is. And if you can verify it. Was it Maund- Maunders, Maunders, Maunders? Maunders, his head got painted um, by, well, by, Maunders, by, by Jimmy Bullard.
1: Blast, he's still there. I mean, Jimmy was non-stop. You know, the amount of times, I remember Zack Knight pinning him up, what has it killed, Jimmy? <laughs> a few times. And it just wouldn't, he just didn't have a stop button, Jimmy. That was the, the problem. His favourite was just throwing water in your face when you're just having a dinner in your it. It was It was non-stop. But it was great. Great dressing room, good, you know, good fun times, and it was a, it was a shame we just didn't get the results because, I, and I know it's a results business, but I just felt we were building a decent squad of players and a good, good team spirit, and I thought we would have gone on and done better than we did.
4: I mean, do you think? Obviously, you're you're a very, a very tough-tackling midfielder in the centre of the park, for us. Do you think there is, so, there is like that bite lacking in the side at all at the moment? They're going to need some. You know, a particular player who can break up the play because they haven't got the
1: football so much as they did last season. It was a pleasure to watch Kearney, MacDonald last year and you No know, Fredericks, etc. It was a great style, but now they have to find a different way. And I've heard talk of whether are they back four strong enough, you know, but I think it needs to come from the front. It needs to be a full team, team shape, out of possession, it needs to be a little bit quicker and a little bit better than they have been, you know, of late.
4: I mean, one thing that always amazes me is the, the season you were captain when, obviously, Sanchez came in in the April. We somehow finished 15th, only winning eight games. It was just, it was, it was crazy. And, obviously, the, the main memory that was taken out for that season, obviously, Dempsey scoring a goal against Liverpool. So, he came in in January with Simon Davis. Could you see those two players going on to become such club, club legends and great players that they were?
1: Well, you could tell, you know, the good footballers and, and you know, nice people, nice pros who work for the team, and I know Clint's gone on and done, done, done marvellous, he was very raw, he was different, Clint, he had something um, how do I explain, he just had a different way of playing because he'd come from a, another country and he'd try things that were different and then all of a sudden he learned which, when was the right time to do it when would he release it, when would he do his trick and you know, what turned out to be a, a fabulous player but great guys to be around and it was a it was a pleasure to play with them
7: what was it like i mean that change of of management at the top chris Coleman, of course you know as you said you know a good guy an all-round nice guy i've had the you know pleasure of meeting him he's he's an absolutely top man uh cookie but you know Laurie sanchez is an interesting interesting customer you know a lot of players have, have talked about how they didn't really get on with him how they found a lot of his method, methods quite strange obviously he brought in half of northern ireland in the summer as well let's be fair yeah. not half of northern ireland and seal Qun. um you know and 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 it kind of all just changed i mean what was the atmosphere shift like for you
1: well I think I think for myself I think you, you started to realize you know the, the signings whether it be forced upon himself whether he decided on them whatever we were never in control of that of, of what the signings were but you started to realize a few players who who'd wanted to play football and obviously Fulham's always been known moving the ball around with great style, etc. I don't know why they took me. I just used to break it up. But maybe the <laughs> maybe needed one just to piece it up together. But you know, and I think that's when the obviously the culture changing. You, knew Laurie, obviously he was going to go long ball direct. His beliefs were very much that that way, and it was a, it was a different style. And and some players didn't want to buy into that. And I, I always felt it was going to be difficult uh, that season, and, and, it, and it proved that way. And.
5: Being captain, and we were on a tough run, if we're honest, what, how much of a role did you have in the dressing room? I know uh, you've said how much of a good motivator that Cookie was, and a lot of the Wales players said that about um, Euro 2016, that he was just an incredible man-manager. But as captain, how much of a burden did you feel?
1: Well, I think it come down to me. It was be very much so we'd have a, a couple of senior players, and we'd report into Chris and, and sort of think what we where, where we, we thought things had, uh, could be improved, where we where we were lacking in certain areas, what we were doing wrong, could we change a few days? Could I could I take the players on a, a, a team bonding, etcetera? Les Reed came in. So it was you know it was all different changes as a captain that I had to I had to take on. But I thoroughly enjoyed my role and, and like I said to you, it's one thing I, I maybe regret that I didn't carry on to do that and I maybe could have been in that role for much longer at Fulham. But that is the responsibility of a captain. It's getting less and less these days. The amount of feedback a captains can do is very much taken over by a football director, a manager, a first team coach, and, and this is the way it goes. And and then you look after the dressing room. But you know, there's been a lot of talk now about, for instance, Pogba. You know, are there players inside the dressing room not controlling this? Why is it all getting out? That be the role of your senior players and your
2: captains. It's the Fulhamish podcast, and that was Michael Brown uh, chatting with Guy, Dom, and Aaron on Love Sports some brilliant Fulham stories in there. Times under Coleman, uh, he seems to have a lot of time for for Chrissy Coleman. Times under Laurie Sanchez as well. Make sure you check out the guys on Love Sport Radio every Wednesday from eight thirty PM for top content like that. Normally, it's just Don waffling on, but sometimes they get great interviews as
4: well. Yeah, sometimes. But it's very <laughs> just waffling on.
2: So, uh, Fulhamish will be back on Monday, looking back at the Bournemouth game. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. There's going to be a full-time recorded the Old Suffolk Punch straight after the game. Uh, I assume Jack Collins is going to be hosting, but to be quite, quite honest right now, I don't know who's going to be hosting. <laughs> I'll, I'll sort out the admin of that uh, as it gets closer as well. But of course, Jack Kelly will be doing his increasingly popular fan cams
3: yeah Jack Kelly is doing absolute bits on our YouTube I was yeah. going to
2: liken him to Keith Jegwin back in the Big Breakfast days but I feel that might be a bit of an old reference
0: uh, reporter. I could
3: be Mr. Blobby then <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jack Kelly would definitely be too young to understand that no, reference he be. Um, but yeah make sure you check out Jack's fan cams there they're doing very well and also his interview that he had with Slavica Okanovic uh, a couple of weeks ago at football beyond borders which which you were there Farrell with him
3: and yes. the visa was was lovely wasn't he he was very nice he is uh um he was very generous with his time um and was very happy to talk to us for for a- quite a while actually. Um, and yeah it was a real I mean if you if you get a chance check out this football Football Without Borders. Um it's it's a it's a great organisation. They're doing some absolute wonderful things.
2: Did Slavisa tell you about how Fulhamish is his favourite Fulham FC
3: podcast? Oh absolutely he's yeah? a big big fan of the pod, big fan of the pod. Oh that's good to hear. Is he? Uh yes. <laughs> <laughs> He had, he had his uh, Fulhamish mug and uh, sticker on him as well. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure he's got his poster uh, stuck
2: up on the wall as yeah. well. At home. Good old Savisa. Well done, Farrell. Uh, so, yeah, Fulhamish podcast. We'll be back on Monday looking back at the Bournemouth game. Hope you can join us then. Hopefully we'll have some more positive uh, things to talk about than we did last Monday after the Cardiff debacle. Don Betts, thank you very much. All right. To Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Dirce. And to Drew Heatley, can you say goodbye in a different language, please? Alfred Saint Pet, lovely job. (laughs) We'll see you on Monday.